Welcome to another edition of the Middle Dimes podcast. Uh, unfortunately, you're stuck with one guy today. Um, the other guys are out on the field coaching some of the kids, but we got a special guest on. We got uh, Los Angeles Angels minor league prospect Denny Brady on the show. Um, sit back and take a listen. Let the drama kick, the drama kick die. Let the drama kick, let the drama kick die. Let the drama kick, let the drama kick die. Let the drama kick, 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 let the drama kick die. Let the drama kick. All right, we are joined by Denny Brady. Denny was drafted in the seventh round by the Angels. Um, currently, he pitched for the Trash Pandas, the AA organization last year. Tickled to death to have him on. Excited to get to know more about you. Thank you again, Danny, for taking some time with us. Oh, of course. I'm uh, definitely glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do got to know, obviously, you're in Arizona. We spoke just a quick minute, but I got to know what the heat like heat is like right now on a day-to-day basis for you. Beautiful. Uh, 70 <laughs> Sunny, no humidity. Coming from New Jersey and being forced to throw inside because of snow, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. The which, which what type of weather do you like better? Are you a snow fan? You like the heat better? I like both. I'm a big fan nice. of cold. I, I'm, I do cold plunges and you no know, cold hikes, so I like that too. But when it comes to throwing a baseball, I'd like the uh, the sun to be hitting <laughs> feet out instead of inside. No, I would. I'd imagine so, especially with the, the pressure that gets put on. Are you now? Are you um, currently? I know the lockout's going on, but I know there's different rules for minor leaguers. Has mm-hmm. the lockout had any effect for you, or what's kind of what's kind of going on in your daily schedule now? Yeah, none whatsoever. The minor league side is uh, full systems go. So I'm going to the facility uh, five times a week, uh, six times a week now. You know, throwing bullpens, uh, lifting, just doing whatever I can, enjoying the weather. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. What, now, what do you um, – about how many hours do you think you spend, like, at the, at the clubhouse or at the field? Like, how much, how much free time, I guess, should I – how much free time do you have in a day? At this point in the year, I do have a lot of free time. I get up around 6, get to the facility 8 or 9, and then normally back home before 2. So I have a little bit of the morning and pretty much all of the evening, which I definitely enjoy considering in season it's like 12 to 12 every day. Uh, what, what are some things you do to keep yourself occupied in that free time? Uh, I got a couple TV shows going, just finished. <laughs> I got you. Uh, doing Lost Trail. Um, I read a lot too, so oh, those man. are hobbies right now. All right, just real quick off of that. You have to you have to give me one book, your favorite book that's made the biggest impact on you. What do you recommend for me? Well, I got like probably 20 that come to mind, but the one <laughs> I recommend the people is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. It's an easy read. You get a lot out of it. It's super entertaining. So I feel like anyone who reads it would uh would definitely take something from it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I I was not a reader until COVID. And I just I was I was on Twitter one day and I saw a bunch of coaches are like, y'all want to do a little joint book club. And I'm like, if I'm ever going to read now is the time. And it was actually it didn't change my life, but it changed my perception on reading. Um, oh, what's that book by Jocko Willing? Oh, uh, Extreme Ownership. Yep, that, that's another one that came to my mind. Yeah. That's- yeah, that book, it's from a from a coaching teacher perspective, it 
it definitely changed my world as far as how I approached everything. Oh, absolutely. That, uh, I don't know. I just love Jocko. I listen to his podcast, read his books. He just has such a, a simplistic way of looking at things. And I feel like people could benefit from taking a similar approach. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Does, he, does his voice intimidate you at all on the podcast? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. He, he, some, somehow, some way he's able just to speak into a microphone and I've never met the guy. never looked at him face to face, but I, I'm almost scared death of him. <laughs> yeah. Had to command the toughest people in the world, the Navy SEALs. Yeah. So he has yeah. to have intimidating voice. That's awesome. All right, so I'm gonna we I text we text a little bit, and I, we talked about some sports you like. You mentioned you're a big NBA fan, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna throw you I'm gonna throw you in the fire right here. If you're if you're the GM of the Knicks, you got Spike Lee down there on the court side, ready to get you hype every game, <laughs> and for somehow you've managed to free up some cap space to get you a big name stud. Are you signing KD, LeBron, Steph, or some other no-name? Who, who are you going after? I like Steph. I think he still has more good years in him, um, less controversial. So I would go with Steph. I do, FYI, I'm a Sixers fan. So okay. I'm pretty involved in uh, <laughs> the trade that went on. and uh, But – from their perspective, I think Steph would be would be a good move. So does that mean you're excited about James Harden? One hundred percent, yeah. I I've kept up with a little bit. I'm not, you know, I I keep up with basketball, of course, but the NBA, I'm still, you know, I'm not. LeBron James has just killed everything inside of me to watch NBA. So what <laughs> yeah. what what was your take when this whole Ben Simmons saga is going on? Like what? In your mind, what do you you know? Is it driving you crazy? Are you you thankful just to get rid of him, or what's your yes. thoughts on that? I can't put myself in the guy's shoes. I don't really know what he's going through, but as a fan, like, come on, man, like, yeah. get him money. Um, <laughs> you know, if you don't play well when it matters most, and you're getting paid that much money, people aren't going to be happy. So, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be ridiculed like that, but when all this went down, I'm like, you got to get rid of the guy. That's not really the type of mentality you want to have in a clubhouse. So getting rid of him, I think was a good move, especially like he's not playing at all. So. Yeah. I was, I, I, my personal opinion, I'm just thinking like, dude, you, you have a job to do. You know, I would kill to be able to tell my boss, I'm not coming into work today and still rake that in. Uh, yeah, but I, I lost a lot of respect for him from a, just a competitor standpoint. Like, Hey dude, like, like you said, I don't know what he's going through, but suck it up and do your job. Like, you know, that's, yeah. Exactly. I mean, the, the one thing I do get is he's never had failure in his life. You know, being, uh, I think he was one, one, um, every, everywhere he's been, he's been the guy. And then suddenly he's thrown into a situation where, Hey, maybe I'm not the best player around, let alone the best player on my team. And, never negative feedback so i mean i get how it's tough but at the same time like you're getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars to do this yeah yeah i I agree suck it up and play i I, (laughs) betting but you you gotta play the game you're getting paid to play right so you all you also said and i told you i'm gonna ask this question you said you did a little mma i gotta know some stories how did it get started what was it like give me Give me some good details on some MMA right here. Yeah, well, I got started with uh, Taekwondo. 
think I was seven. I did that for five years, got my black belt. And then I had to choose between that and baseball. I chose baseball. So for all that time, I just messed around. My brother was into it too. So I would just, you know, shadow box him every now and again. But uh, this past off season, I got into some Muay Thai, which was actually really fun, you know, hitting pads, sparring without like actually throwing real punches and kicks. I had a lot of fun doing that. And it, it's just, you got to be such an athlete. It's you're moving around. It's, it's a lot of fun, especially if you got people with you who know what they're doing. It, it can be a lot of fun. Oh man. Uh, when I hear MMA, I'm thinking Brock Lesnar is coming <laughs> at me and I am trapped by a cage and I can't climb that thing quick enough. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're not actually throwing fun. <laughs> not as fun, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave with some injury. I'm, it's, it's a good time. It's a good workout, really good that's, workout. That's cool. That's cool. All right, we're going to – I'll change the gears, make it a little bit easier on you talking about baseball. <laughs> um, you played two years at Mercer County um, in New Jersey. Um, did you know growing up in New Jersey that baseball was going to be your ticket? It, it, like, has that been your plan ever since you was a little kid, or was there a moment where it just clicked with you and you're like, oh, man, I can – I can really make a career out of this thing. Uh, yeah. As a little kid, grew up a Phillies fan. I, uh, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> uh, what are you? Oh, oh Braves fan. Oh yeah. We, oh. we podcast together. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, um, well, I, I'm an, I'm an angels fan now. There Full you go. There we go. Phillies fan when I played for the angels, but, uh, anyway, like growing up, I, I wanted to be just like Chase Utley. He was my favorite player to watch. And um, obviously, I'm a pitcher now. So, Roy Halladay came around. And, you know, guy was just incredible competitor, uh, great pitcher. And that's kind of when I started the transition from being a, a hitter to a pitcher. So, mimicking a guy like that growing up, I, I knew baseball is what I wanted to do. And I just wanted to be in the same shoes that, that Halladay was in. What was, uh, what was high school baseball like up in New Jersey? I mean, is it pretty serious taking up there? Is it not many teams or, you know, what mm -hmm. here is here in Alabama, high school baseball, you know, it's, it's hit or miss. If you're, if you're not at a big program, you're just kind of, you're taking all the athletes that are bored, want to come out there and hit some. What's, what's that? What's high school like up there? There's good and bad talent. So I got to see some really, really good talent. First rounders. Um, no, oh, wow. Guys throwing 90, but then I, we play a team where, not a single one of those guys are going to play after. <laughs> so there is a pretty big talent gap, but uh, high school baseball was a blast in New Jersey. Uh, we had a, a lot of good competition and no, that's, that's what I live for. So <laughs> high school baseball and Juco baseball were some of the, the most fun times I've had. And ironically, the lowest budgets I've been around to. <laughs> that's cool. What, um, so what was your recruitment like coming out? Did, did you have multiple offers? Did you know, uh, Mercer was where you wanted to go or what was that like for you? Yeah. So out of high school, I went to East Carolina for the first year and then Mercer for the second. And that's where I got drafted. So gotcha. out of school, I had quite a few offers, um, pretty much all on the, the East coast. Uh, I was between ECU, West Virginia and Penn state. And I ended up picking ECU because at the time I was like, this is the coolest place to go for baseball. <laughs> Uh, second time around after going Juco, I uh, didn't look at things the same way. I wasn't looking for a cool place to go. I was looking for the place that was going to make me the best athlete and baseball player I can be. 
and I committed to Old Dominion out of JUCO. But I ended up getting drafted out of JUCO, and that's when I became an angel. And for the last six years, here I am. That's cool. I know just as a side note, like I said, I'm by no means a professional athlete. But the first thing I noticed when I looked at your profile was you're still with the team that drafted you. Um, I know, you know, a lot of times you might not get drafted by the team you want that you think that's your little kid, maybe not your childhood team. But it says a lot that you are still with that same team that drafted you. That says a lot from your standpoint that, you know, you're 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 doing exactly what they want. And it says a lot from them that, hey, like we still believe in, you, you know, we we're not going to get rid of you. We're not going to dish you off like. I think that's just a, such a cool story for a guy because it's rare. I mean, it, it's rare guys are able to stay. And I thought that was such a cool thing that when I was researching you, looking you up. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, usually either uh, the team that you're on really wants you or no other team wants you. So you're <laughs> I would like to think that the team likes me. Yes. But yeah, a lot of mutual respect there to stay with the same organization from both sides. And you no, know, a lot of good relationships built through the years. When uh, the year you got drafted, was you prepared? Like, did you kind of expect that to happen or did the draft happen and you saw your name and you're just you kind of stunned, locked in and it just kind of took you by surprise a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to get drafted right around where I did. So um, it wasn't an over, overly big surprise. But, yeah, the, the draft day, what a lot of people don't know is it could be really stressful because – you're getting calls from all these different teams saying they're going to pick you here or pick you there. And then, you know, you're waiting for your name to pop up and then you see someone else's like, I didn't realize that was a thing. Then it happened to me. And then I talked to everyone else and that happened to them. It's, it's, uh, it's both the most exciting day and the most stressful day I think I've ever had in my life. Do you have a, do you have a cool watch party? Have you family nearby? What was, what was draft day like for you? Just me and my family. Yeah, the, the watch party would have been awkward because <laughs> we all sat down expecting to call my name and some other name pop. I'm definitely happy. I, I was with the people I love. Plus, you know, like I said, it would have been pretty awkward. Yeah. I wish I could say I could imagine that situation, but um, unfortunately, I'm stuck with, you know, blowing whistles at, you know, 15, 16 year old kids run up down the basketball floor. Um. <laughs> so, so you get drafted by the angels you get started out um what was that like kind of transitioning from rookie ball to low a now up to double a does each different level kind of have a different aspect are they able to are, is there much difference between the two or do you learn different things at each stop or what's the, what's yeah. been that story for you yeah so each individual level gets a little bit better but the biggest jump for me was high a to double a the talent level just shot through the roof. But um, yeah, every level, it's like another adjustment I got to make. Rookie ball to low A, I got to learn how to land my breaking ball in the zone. And you know, low A, high A, I got to learn how to tunnel pitches. And then double A, I got to learn how to use like three different spots of the plate with my fastball. At every level, you got to get good at something else. And um, I haven't been there yet, but from what I can get to the major leagues, like you pretty much got to be perfect at what you do best. And it's uh, being a, a player, a pitcher, it's very, has to be very, very detailed. Like it's, uh, I'm working on the smallest things now, like being able to run a four seam up on a way to a righty. Like my entire bullpen today was just trying to hit that spot over and over and over again. It's not just getting on there and feeling the mound, like working on very specific things that play off of your pitches. 
So it, it gets pretty detailed. The closer you get, the, the more details are thrown at you. Was there, was there a specific part of your game that when you got drafted, you know, the Angels, I'm not sure how that works as far as, I know there's like a pitching coordinator who kind of works through and kind of sets goals for everybody, but was there a part of your game where they came to and they said, we really want you to develop this, and that's kind of where you had to hone a lot of your focus, or did they kind of set you free and just say, you know, let's, let's watch you develop, learn on your own, or how did they kind of lead you that way? Yeah, so the biggest thing they, they've given me is fastball command at the top of the zone. I'm a forcing guy with a lot of ride and ball, like takes off. So pitching at the bottom of the zone is what I did in college and in high school. But in pro ball, that's a pitch that gets hit. But a fastball at the belt, that will, that will miss some bats. So I had to kind of transition from being a low in the zone guy to being able to get up in the zone consistently. That was the big thing. And, of course, landing, breaking balls in the zone, too. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I've, I've heard we had I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with Bruce Maxwell, he uh, pl played played for the A's and Giants. We, he's from here in Huntsville, where I'm where I live at. And so we had him on and we were we were talking about fastballs up in the zone. And so it's it's funny you kind of brought that up. He you know, he, he loved those up and inside. So I'd imagine I'd imagine you got to be careful with certain guys. Um, yep. so, so moving on in 2019, you know, looking up. You know, you had a great year with Inland Empire. They, the A's, you know, a lot of the journalists and stuff, they were talking about you, you're, you're this next guy coming up. And then COVID hit and you had to pause for a year. What was that like as somebody who's, you're young, you're still learning, you gained some momentum and now you just got to go to a complete stop. And as far as your competition wise, what, what was that, what was that stoppage like for you? So believe it or not, I think the COVID year was my most beneficial year because I was able to sit down and say, I got nothing but time to work on what I need to work on. So I wrote down a couple goals and I was actually able to throw a lot of live BPs in someone's backyard in a batting cage. I threw 40 innings in a batting cage outside. So I was able to work on specific things, get constant like videos, looking at mechanics, looking at what my pitches are doing. So I think that year more than any other year, I, I really started to learn what I needed to do as a pitcher. That's cool. Usually, usually that it's not the response you get, but that's awesome. You were able to kind of use that to your advantage was, you know, pitcher fatigue, you know, until you make it to the minor leagues and major majors, you're not pitching for months and months at a time. Was that, was that a real thing you kind of had to learn and, and try to adapt your, you know, how much work, extra work you're putting in just so your arm wouldn't, wouldn't wear out towards the end of the season? Oh, yeah. Well, I got hurt last year because of that. I was just not able to recover. And it's, a, it's definitely a constant learning process. Every year I try, I make little adjustments to my workout routine, my throwing routine, and it's still like tweaking this, fixing that, trying to figure out what it is that actually works best for me. But, yeah. Pitching in the minor leagues, you're pitching once every fifth day for months on months at a time. It adds up quick. At a certain point in the season, like, you never feel like you fully recover, at least for me personally, and I know a lot of other guys are the same. But, yeah, innings after innings, and I'm doing what I love, but it does get very tiring after a while. When you get to, like, month five in the season, your arm is just ready to shut down. I bet. I bet I get tired. I I throw a couple of wiffle ball innings and after about inning number three, I'm, I'm down, I'm down for like a week. So yeah. Right. 
five months of you know pumping the gas at my arm. I just I, I can't imagine what would happen to my arm. Um, you mentioned you mentioned kind of learning as you go. Has there been that one guy as you came up in the organization that you've been able to to lean on to look up to? Maybe somebody that's passed down some advice to you. You had that guy to to help you out along the way from a player's teammate standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I've had so many teammates. It would be a sin to just say one, but I've had so many people give me either good feedback or teach me about mentality and cool thing about the minor leagues is you're with the same guys usually for months and months at a time so you really get to learn about each other know each other and yeah I mean like I said a bunch of guys come to mind uh one of them is now a pitching coach for the Reds Simon Matthews he um in that 19 year he was working on me pretty much every day trying to help me with my my fastball command up in the zone just in catch play and he uh yeah he would be one and Another guy, Daniel Procopio, little Canadian kid who threw 100 miles per hour, just picking his brain and learning how he generates force and gains momentum down the mound. Just little things, picking from from people and seeing what works for me. It's yeah, I mean, there's been at least 10 guys that I've taken little tidbits from. That's cool. That's cool. It's you know, I I came to a lot of Trash Pandas games this past season, and it was you'd always see kind of the bullpen guys, obviously. Bullpen guys are known for shagging BP out in the outfield. And so you get to see everybody's true personality shine when they're out there just playing around with each other. Uh, so that was cool. Um, what was that like playing for the Trash Pandas? Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, out of everywhere I played so far in the minor leagues. That has been my favorite spot by far. Amazing fan base. Sellouts just about every night. Um, fans are into the game too. It's it's a great atmosphere there. It gets really loud on the field. And a lot a lot of minor league spots, even in Double A, you don't get that. So having that every night, it's, it was awesome. I loved playing in Huntsville. Um, yeah, just cool cool locker room, new facilities. Yeah. Travels not too bad, which is huge. Yeah, I, I had a great time. And like you said, you get to see the personalities. There's a lot of good personalities on that team. So I, I enjoyed every aspect of it. That was cool. I am, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for the home <laughs> field advantage. I was on the rock screaming, the rock porch, quite a bit <laughs> screaming at, uh, at the right fielder. I really loved it when y'all played the Smokies. I got on, <laughs> I got on, I got on Viscaino a lot during that series. Um, oh, yeah, that was, love the stadium. I love the stadium. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I, I hope you, I hope you progress, but I wouldn't lie. It would be cool to see see you throw one more one or two more games down there here in Huntsville uh selfishly <laughs> selfishly I hope that I hope that happens one more time um so with I want to I want to go back kind of to the lockout and what's going on I know that a lot of it has to do with how young players are coming up does it have you enjoyed not enjoyed that it's going on but d- does it kind of get you excited on how the older guys are fighting for the younger guys and how they're willing to, to, to do things that helps you guys out as, as well as help them out. 100%. Yeah, it's really, really cool to see how everyone has back. No, I, we never, I've never experienced anything like this, like a lockout coming up through the minor leagues. So I really didn't like understand the, the brotherhood it takes to be, you know, a professional baseball player. Like the guys up there, they try to have our backs and, no, it's because when, when we get up there, we're going to have the people's backs beneath us and so on. It's no, it's just really cool that these guys are sticking up for the, 
for the guys who are not making as much money or, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to this, obviously, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a cool thing, even though lockout stinks and I want it to be over. It's definitely cool to experience how people are like pushing for each other, even though it's not going to directly benefit themselves. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, that was probably one of the most unselfish acts I've, I've got to witness. And it's, it's been kind of a cool teaching moment just saying, Hey, you know, this ain't about me, but I'm going to, I'm going to step up for them just because I do have a voice. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I thought that was cool. And, and I feel like it's only going to bring y'all closer, especially when they get, you know, hopefully it gets, hopefully they lock, lock out in soon. So I'd be, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see what comes from it. Um, so you had a lot of cool teammates. You've had a lot of guys help you out. What has been that one guy that you faced as a pitcher throwing to the plate? Have you had a, has there been that batter where you just like, man, this dude has my number. I've not been able to get him solved. Who's been that one guy for you who's just giving you the most problems? So I don't remember his first name, maybe Luis. Last name's definitely Castro. So I faced him when I was in high A in 19 and this past year in double A. Um, he just, he has a way of knowing what I'm going to throw. I, um, the last at bat I had against him, I got, I worked him to three, two, and I threw him a slider directly where I was. Catcher could have his eyes closed and I would have, I would have squared up his glove. The dude hit it like 450 feet off of me. I was like, how in the world is he going to hit this pitch? Especially in this count. He just, he he knows what I'm throwing. I swear I tip it to him somehow. (laughs) Yeah. Every time he comes up, even if he's riding a cold streak, I'm like, here we go again. Uh, Who, what minor league did he play for? Or double A team. I'm sorry. So this past year, I'm, I can't really remember. He played for the Rockies in 19. I do remember that, but I'm okay. not sure he played for this past year. Because I feel I, that name sounds so familiar. Granted, I, I you know, it sounds so familiar. I feel like, I, I feel like I've seen him play at the stadium. Yeah, um, probably seen so, that one. No one's, no one's going to forget um, uh, the bomb. The main bomb I remember is Mac knocking that grand slam in extra innings off of the backup catcher. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one I'm like, okay. As I at the time, you know, he comes in and and you never know. Sometimes minor league relievers, they're not, they're not there to throw gas. And I'm just looking at it. I'm thinking, something ain't right when he's warming up, just tossing these, tossing these darts. And then I'm looking, I'm thinking, this dude's a catcher. And then <laughs> yeah. he sends that moon rocket out there to left field. Uh, that was pretty cool. I won't it was, that was cool. Also weird because, like, do you celebrate walking off on a back? <laughs> yeah. Is it a flip about? Do you, like, throw your helmet and jump on home plate? Or is it something you're not supposed to celebrate? Yeah. A little bit of area there. Yeah, that was – it was a cool moment nonetheless. nonetheless it definitely it was cool. Definitely um, was. So, you, you had – you got to play with uh, Reed Detmers this past year for a little bit. Was He was still at Rocket City when you were there. Um, yep. talk about him for a little bit. How, what was your, when the first time you saw him, what, what kind of stuck out to you the most when you was watching him pitch and work out and stuff? So the first time I ever really got to like see him, I played catch with him and he's, we're playing catch. I'm like, he's got a pretty good fastball, pretty good change up. He throws me that curveball. Oh my God. I swear to you, no jokes. I whiffed the first three he throwed me. I literally didn't. Him. I was like, this is ridiculous. How can anyone hit this with a baseball bat? I can't even put a glove on it. And then um, uh, 
I knew he had a good curveball, but then when the season rolled around and I got to see him pitch, I'm like, got a good everything. Like, it's fastball. He could strike guys out with four different pitches at any moment. Incredible wow. pitch. And he knows how to use his, what was he, 21, 22 years old? And he just, best arsenal I've seen, knows how to use every pitch. I, uh, I think you got to see a major league all-star in that guy. He's he's legit. Yeah, I was, we was at we was at open tonight, and I want to say fan ten on open tonight his debut, and you could kind of you kind of knew from that moment he was special. But mm -hmm. I, I I just think it's cool from like from you guys getting to watch him, and and I'm sure there were times he picked each of y'all's brain, just you know each y'all work together. But um, I I don't know. I guess I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say here. Um, Oh no, we're gonna move on from it because I can't, I can't, I can't put the, I can't put the words of where my brain's trying to think. Um, anyway, we'll move on. What um, we got, Alexa? We got a lot of kids that listen to the show. One of them is um, he, he coaches baseball at a four A school here in Alabama, and and I want to know what what would you tell these young kids coming up if they really want to pursue playing professional baseball? What what's your one piece of advice you would pass down to them? Um, ask a lot of questions, seek out knowledge. Um, a lot of people get in trouble thinking that their way is the best way, but there's people who know way more than you, people who know way more than me, like picking people's brains, getting a better understanding for what it is you're trying to do, whether it's in the weight room or on the baseball field. I, I just think opening up conversations with, with people, you'd be surprised how much you can learn from just talking to someone. Yeah, that's, that's that's always my big one. Just just be willing to change if something's not working. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure they listen to that part when somebody gives me some crap next time <laughs> I practice. Um, so so last thing I want to bring up, and it's 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 kind of a touchy subject for some, but the steroid era guys, Barry Bonds, A Rod, Clemens, all those they they obviously got shut out again um, in the Hall of Fame ballot. And I know there's a lot of guys who were for it. I know there's a lot of guys who were against it. Um, kind of what's, if, if you don't mind, what's kind of your, your thoughts on those? Do you, you feel like they deserve to be in? Or are you, are you one of those who are, who are not a fan? You're glad they're not in there? Or what's, what's, what's your thoughts on it? No, I'm kind of stuck in the middle there, but I lean toward them being allowed in. And I think the reason is a lot of people in the Hall of Fame from around that era use steroids but just didn't get busted for it so i think like keeping the guys out who did get busted for it isn't fair and plus barry bonds has the craziest numbers like him and babe ruth have the most crazy numbers i've ever seen it's just he, everyone knows he has hall of fame just not having him in there is and it just doesn't seem right same thing with roger clemens guy has seven cy young awards and no one else has more than three so him not being in the hall of fame just it doesn't feel right to me so I would lean toward having them in. I would have yeah, given. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 with you. We we actually talked about this a lot on the show, and I know the other guys they get tired of me yakking about it. But I'm, you know, I, that's when I grew up. I grew up in the 90s. I grew up watching Big Mac. I grew up watching Slamming. Got to see Barry hit one. Like you know, they they changed the game for me just as a fan, and and kind of gave me that passion to watch the game. So I I look at it from that standpoint. Um, but the next part is is bringing in this next era of sticky stuff. And, you know, obviously pitchers being able to change the pitch. And, and it's kind of like what you're going along. I think sticky stuff has been around for a long time. And it's just a matter of 
guys abusing it more than others, guys taking advantage of manipulating the system. But my perspective on it is, to me, if you're going to doctor the baseball as a pitcher, that has more impact than like Roger Clemens. I mean, Roger Clemens, you still got to throw it. Barry Bonds, I mean, you might be juiced up, but you still got to hit that little bit of baseball. You know, yeah. but, but when you get to be a pitcher and you doctor it, it just – you're able to control so much more of the game. Um, I'm trying to think it was Trevor's story. He mentioned so many times, you know, he would just have to close his eyes and just – you never know which direction the ball was going to go because you couldn't tell by the spin rate. Um, what's kind of your thoughts on the on the sticky stuff situation? Well, I will say, first of all, that I did use it um, for the last two years of my minor league career. Uh, me along with pretty much every other person in baseball – so I'm not going to like call out anyone specifically, obviously, but some people do use it way more than others. Um, for me personally, it would just be a little bit enough where the ball's not slick. Minor league baseballs, major league baseballs, very little grip. So guys who like they can grab the ball and it will like stick to their <laughs> hand. That's, that's too much. 100%. But um, it, I feel like it becomes somewhat of a safety hazard if, guys can't really hold on to the ball. If you're pitching and it's 35 degrees out in like New York or something, and you got no grip on the ball at all, say you're Jacob DeGrom, I wouldn't want to be a right-handed batter in that box. I'm not a hitter, but I would much prefer that guy a little <laughs> bit of you know, unscreen or rosin or something. So I know that ball is not going to slip out of his hand and come at my head at hundred miles per hour. So again, that's another one I'm 50, 50 on. Um, I think there has to be limitations, but I also think uh, a rosin bag when it's 35 degrees out isn't going to do anything. So where do we go with this? I don't really know. But I do think that, um, like I said, everyone was using it. I mean, you, you can look at some stats from players over this past year, their first half versus second half, and you can, you can see where a lot of people struggled without having it. So it, it was definitely widely used. And you said we don't know how far back it goes. I know for at least 30, 40 years, people have been using it for talking to people. So, yeah, right. it's uh, new, but it's a big gap between people who use very little and, like I said, guys who like the ball would stick to their hand. Did there? Did you ever feel like there – so, you know, we, we look at all these new metrics that are coming out, and spin rate has obviously been one that's a lot more emphasis placed on it. Did you ever feel like a sense of pressure to have a certain spin rate or was that ever something that was kind of thrown at you? Like, you know, you're, you're never going to get here unless your spin rate gets to this spot. And, and it kind of put that added pressure that you might have to use it more. Yeah. So obviously we're always going to chase like a better spin rate, better velocity, better this, better that. And um, stick definitely could affect that. And for a lot of guys it did, but that was never fully my reason. My reason when I did use it was more so command. Because, like I said, when it's cold out or when you're sweating a lot, like anything to have a little bit more grip on that ball will help. And um, is it an unfair advantage? Yeah, it definitely tips the, the favor toward the pitchers a little bit. But, like, rosin is a sticky substance. So where do we draw the line here? Rosin's okay. Everything else isn't. Or, I mean, I mean there's so many different things people use. It's, it's, it's hard to kind of draw a line here. Right. What If you could think of one easy solution, do you think raising the seams up on the baseball to give you more grip or, you know, because that, that's one thing that's been common is, you know, how do, how do you decide what is fair? And 
if you're going to instigate something, how are you going to be able to determine? Do you going to have a chemist out there every end and checking your arm, you know, putting some drops on you? Um, you have any easy solutions that might that might help aid or band-aid it at all? Honestly, easy one that I would get 100% behind, and I think everyone else could too, is just a wet towel on the back of the mound. Something to just give that rosin a little bit more stick when it's dry out would be a big deal. When I when it was hot out and I was sweating and I have the rosin bag, I didn't I want to use anything. Yeah. I just rosin bag on my wrist and then my stick on my fingers. So I think just a wet towel would 100% do the trick, and I don't think either side can really complain about that. Is that something that's that's ever been talked about, or is I've, I've not heard that one? But that you know, I didn't know if that's something that's going around or in talks or discussions. No, during COVID, they mentioned that. I think it's because I wanted guys to stop licking their fingers, but I never gotcha. saw actually use it. So I don't, I don't know if it's if it was a rule and it isn't now. If it ever actually was a rule, so. But it was talked about, and I think it'd be a, a good addition. Yeah. That's cool. I, if nothing else, you can break out the old George, Tom, old John Thompson. Just throw you a towel on your shoulder, walk out there, be like a Georgetown Hoya. Just set it out there on the man, <laughs> dust it off. That would be yeah. cool. I, I, and that makes a lot of sense. It's, you know, you talk about simplicity. It's kind of weird that they've not thought of something as simple as that before. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I, I'm that, that, that was just the only part, you know, as a baseball fan, not a player. You know, you watch somebody like Garrett Cole, who who is obviously so dominant at his craft. You look at a Trevor Bauer, who went absolutely crazy, the, you know, two years ago. And then you're, you're, you're saying, you know, if it comes down to it, their stats give them Hall of Fame numbers. And then you look at somebody like Barry Bonds. And that, that was the part for me personally as a fan standpoint of how are you going to justify one side and not the other? Um, but you made some great points. I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed that side of it because I, I had never thought about just simple water. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's silly just even thinking about it. just a little water can fix that situation. Um, but, man, Denny, I appreciate everything. I appreciate you being on. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to meet with you. Uh, hopefully our paths can cross. I can maybe get an autograph baseball from you and uh, get to watch you pitch a little baseball soon. Oh, 100%. The pleasure is all mine. And if I'm in Rocket City, then I will want to meet up with you and give you that autograph. Yeah, man. Well, good luck to you this year, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Sounds good. Thank you, Zach.